Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. Today, Scott Wright is back with us, and Scott has been teaching us about you know, the different ages of the church and significant things in Bible history and what the Bible has to say about them. But since the war in Israel started back in October 7, 2023, Scott's come on every week or two just to get us caught up, so to speak, on the situation, both in the natural and in the spirit, on what's happening in the Israeli-Hamas war right now, what that means to biblical prophecy, what we're looking at uh, going forward from here. And today, we'll take some time to discuss the current situation in Israel and as of the time of this recording. Uh, so help me welcome back to the program now, Scott Rice. Scott, so good to see you again after the holidays. Have you come back on again, brother? Bob, hey, it's great to be here and looking forward to another uh, fun and exciting, I guess exciting is probably not the word, but detailed discussion to help our uh, help our listeners really get uh, get some perspective on what's happening. Amen. Amen. Now, as we're recording this today, obviously things change on a daily basis between the time we do the interview and when the episode's published. But as we're talking today, Israel has announced they're starting to pull back some troops from uh, Gaza. Uh, you know, they cite the the toll the war is taking on their economy, et cetera. But is, is this, do you think this is in response to international pressure as well? Well, I think they're probably doing it for a variety of reasons. Number one, just pressing their own resources as hard as they have, that they probably need to pull some troops out just to, just to make sure they can funnel the resources to the right places. And as, as the war has progressed and as they continue to press in, they really, I don't think they need as many troops. And so when you don't have all those troops on the ground, you don't have to spend as many resources because every troop has to be fed. Every troop has to be clothed. Every troop has to have all their ammo. So the more troops you have in there, the more, you know, you're draining your own resources. So I, I would think that that's probably a big part of it. But yes, I also think the fact that withdrawing some troops probably helps not only themselves, but probably the United States in continuing to try to broker what will eventually have to be a peace plan when this thing is done. And also that they can they can try to put pressure, the United States can put pressure on Iran and other countries that maybe wanting to combat Israel, either pulling troops out on their side, they don't need to press forward more. So I think, I think it's a combination of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, before we started recording that Egypt tried to put forth a peace plan, but it's been more or less shot down. Uh, what do you know about that? You know, I, um, I listened to it a little bit over the holidays, not as much as I normally do, but I saw that Egypt had put forward a peace plan. And 
it hasn't really that really hasn't come to fruition yet. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, you know, I'm hoping that hopefully they're going to come up with some kind of a resolution here and obviously getting Hamas out of Gaza and out of any connection with Israel would be, it has to be a part of that plan. Yeah, and so okay, we'll, man. we'll see what, we'll see what that is moving forward. I'm getting, I'm just guessing, but I don't think politically that Israel is going to accept anything that has Hamas any where connected to its borders. Yeah. Yeah. Have, have you seen anything about the uh, Hezbollah from the North? I have not again, haven't read it as much as normally, but I know that, uh, I know they've been pesky, but not they haven't went they haven't went full scale like Hamas has. So my guess is is they'll continue to do what they're doing, but they probably won't escalate any further. Mm, amen. Amen. I know they're you know being pushed by Iran and, and yes. all that good stuff. But, uh, but, and Luke oh go ahead. Yeah, the, the problem the problem is is that Iran can you know they can posture all they want through all of this. They themselves only have so many resources, and what's also started to happen, and I and I have kept up with this and did a little reading on it, is that the United States has become more aggressive in anything that could potentially be a military action, and they have taken out a few. Um, there's been a few situations where they've taken out, for instance, boats that have try to attack commercial ships. I know the United States is going to pull out one of their carrier groups, but that's just because their normal deployments up. It's already been passed, but they'll, if they have to replenish, they will, but they're probably not. I don't think they're going to have to, but they, I know that they, they took out, there's like four boats. They took out three of them and the fourth boat decided that, uh, this was not a winning proposition. Yeah. Those three boats were disintegrated pretty quickly. And they realize that. So I know there's been a few situations like that where the United States military has reacted to to really kind of, you know, hey, we're drawing a line in the sand. You can't go past this. You are. This is what's going to happen. And the United States has done that a few times. So I think some of that, too, has maybe calmed the waters a little bit. You yeah, know, hope when so. we show enough force, Iran, there's nothing they can do. They don't have they don't have the military power that the U.S. has to be able to, you know, to be able to do something like that. They can be pesky and do terrorist attacks, but a full military, a full out, full military scale invasion or some type of that level of attack is just, they're not capable of doing it. Yeah. I know some people wonder, you know, well, why can't the Navy just escort these ships through the, that passage? Well, that, when you stop and say, okay, it's just, you know, a few miles that they got to go. No, it's, it's a good trek. And there's a lot of space, sometimes four five, ten 10 miles in between each ship going up through that thing. And, you know, the, it takes a few minutes for the Navy to respond. Let's say there is an attack on a shipping on a commercial ship. They call out a distress signal. It's not like, you know, Oh, someone can be there in two minutes. Like, you know, you call nine one one here and you're waiting for the police to arrive. I mean, it could be a half hour before a helicopter gets to that location, and a lot can happen in 30 minutes. Yes, exactly. So, Especially when you're talking about, you know, war type of events, 30 minutes yeah. is a long time. Yep. Amen. That's right. So, anyway, uh, you know, 
in Luke 21, the Bible talks about, you know, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. And I believe we're that generation. I mean, this has also been claimed, though, by other generations in the past. What makes you believe this applies uniquely to us today? Well, I think, first of all, we need to talk about what a generation is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you know, and you know me and in, in visiting with me as much as you have now that I like to identify and define before I speak to things. And so in the Bible, a generation means a few things. Number one, it can be a specific timeline of a group of people. It could be mean 40 years. It can mean 70 years. It can mean approximately 100 years. And notice I'm saying approximate. It's not like January 1st, right. 1900 to January to December 31st, um, 1999. Okay, right. that's not what I'm talking about. But a generation of about 100, about 70, about 40. That is usually the way the Bible in one of those three, uh, in one of those three ways, that's usually the way the Bible will define a generation. In this particular case, this is talking about an age, okay? And I think it is referring to a generation of approximately one really full-length lifetime. That's what I think. 100 to 120 years is what I think that Jesus is referring to. And and you quoted Luke. Uh, Matthew also puts this, uh, you know, talks about this as well. And it's and they're probably most likely they were recording from the same source, uh, Matthew, Matthew, when he wrote this, as well as Luke. Um, and there's a lot of hypotheses of how that that happened. And if you've ever dove, you've ever have really dived deep into the canonization of Scripture and where it came from, there's a lot of there's a lot of different hypotheses about that. However, in this particular situation, we're looking at how Jesus would have defined a generation in this particular in this particular case so if you go to matthew 24 verse 34 it says truly i tell you this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away so he is establishing that his word has the ultimate authority and i think we can't miss that in verse 35 he's solidifying that as we walk back to verse 34 a generation is an eight one age of people, which would be a hundred to one hundred and twenty years, and so I think we have to take that that scope into account here. So, what would that age be? You know, we've you and I have talked to some t- talked timelines when we were talking about the seven ages of the church. Well, we're obviously talking about the seventh age here, and we're talking about a specific timeline within the seventh age, and I've. I've, we've talked about what a t- what the timeline looks like in that we've had we the, the seventh age of the church began in around 1838 with the coronation of Queen Victoria and that would have what that really did is signify a shift because all of these modern technologies were starting to come into play and they took off yeah. and they went mainstream in the 1830s and then the coronation of Queen Victoria and how it reshaped how power thought of itself. It was now a voice of the people versus ruling over people. And so that was the shift was in 1838 when she was coronated. So we looked at 
we've looked at the groupings and the number of years and how eerily organized it is. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've shown that. Well, when we look here, we're looking at potentially right around 100. I don't think it's 120 years. I think it's more closer to about 100 years. So the question becomes, what event would have started the clock? That's really what we're what we have to figure out. I mean, and and so there were a couple of significant events that happened in May of 1948. Harry Truman will approve the establishment of Israel, and I can give you some really interesting tidbits about this or perspective to think through on this. So Harry Truman, let's talk about him for a second. For all you listeners out here, the United States elects its president through um, a voting system called the Electoral College, where each state, with the exception of Maine and Nebraska, have the popular state or the popular vote of a state determines who gets all the electoral votes, whoever gets the majority. Maine and Nebraska does some of theirs by voting districts. And so that's, you know, in Again, it's popular vote in those districts. That's who gets the electoral vote. FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was elected in, was reelected again for a fourth term in 1944. At the very last minute at the convention, that we're talking in the 11th hour here, the Democrats behind the scenes switched who the VP candidate was. They, they did not want to continue with the VP that they had at the time because he was a pacifist. And they they chose this up, young, up-and-coming, not very experienced man in Harry Truman to be the new to be the new VP candidate. And so he, through a bunch of politicking behind the scenes, got put on the ballot with FDR. And so FDR wins, of course. He does. He went on. The, he goes on the big campaign tour in New York and shows that he's capable of running the country still, and this and that, and he wins. And Franklin and Franklin Roosevelt dies very early in his fourth term of office, yep. April, nineteen forty-five. When he dies, Harry Truman takes over. Harry Truman did not know about the bomb. He did not know about a lot of the different stuff that was going on behind the scenes. He was kind of kept in the dark on all this. Soon as, uh, as soon as FDR dies, obviously Harry Truman is sworn in. And now he is told minutes later about the atomic bomb. Harry Truman will be the one that makes the decision to drop the atomic bomb. This is a person that people did not vote for, for president. And he made that decision. I want you to think about that. Let that soak in for a minute. He made the decision to drop the most powerful bomb twice, by the way, in human history and and advancing us into the atomic age. And then you think about that. And then you think about he is also the one during this term of office, the one he was not elected president in. He will be the one that makes the decision to make Israel a nation. And he was Here's going against his advisors on that. They said, exactly. Oh, don't oh, yeah. do it. Exactly. Many of his advisors were against it, 
but he was he understood biblical prophecy. He understood the times, and and for all his faults, he knew he knew the Bible. Now, here's the thing: Would FDR have made that decision had he been serving his full term of office? I want you to think about this, folks. Did God remove FDR and put Harry Truman in that position the way that it went down? And if you can you go read about how it all went down and how he got put into that position to make sure that it got done the way God wanted it. God is in full control. Yep. And I believe that when Harry Truman signs that, document putting Israel as a nation in May 1948 that that starts the clock. I think a clock started ticking and as that clock's now rolling this is the generation that Jesus was talking about. And I want you to think about all the events that have happened since then. Yep. Amen. I mean just just follow the timeline, the evidence. This isn't just you know, people want to think of prophecy as these spine tingling feelings people get, and they just say whatever's in the spirit. Look at the evidence. Yeah, there's this is there's a lot of evidence around this. Yeah. So to I think, look at that, it from the perspective of you know, okay, Israel's established. Ten years later, Sputnik is launched. Yes, right? and now we start. You know, up till that time it was like. Everybody in the world is going to see these two prophets dead in the streets of Jerusalem. How can everybody see it at one time unless you're there? Exactly. Well, now, 10 years later, Sputnik's there. And that starts the process of we can watch what's happening live as it's happening on television right now. Hey. And uh, it all started back in that era. You know, I tell people, you want to understand civil rights? You want to understand why the position and, and viewpoint of war changed mm -hmm. Yeah, more than any speech ever did. The television is what helped establish civil rights in this country That's right. because it got the cruelties of civil rights and or the cruelties that were going on with all the racism and stuff got shown in American televisions yeah. and people were horrified by what they saw. And they saw it in their living rooms with their That's kids right. sitting there. And I know that because I've talked to people during the, in that generation, and a lot of them said that's when their points of view changed. Same that's the Vietnam. power, exactly. And it's, yeah. Exactly, and it's what turned people really against the government because they saw what the government was really doing. It, it kind of opened people's eyes and created this huge mistrust of government because they were watching these cruelties that were happening and. They were asking themselves, why are we doing this? Right. And then you had all the protesting and, and all the stuff and the marches. But the television did what no speech ever could do. Yep. It spoke for itself. And so to, to say what you just said is exactly right. Now, people can will be able to watch these two witnesses. Mm -hmm. They're going to watch all this stuff. And I want you to think how interactive it's become even since then. It wasn't that really that interactive back then. Oh, yeah, that's right. You yeah, know, I mean, and I you got, I was you born in the early. They can talk to the reporter on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Right there. 
before they'd you know do the videotape and then they'd send that to their regional area and they'd upload it by satellite link to send it back to new york you know the process of you know maybe 10 12 hours exactly uh, but uh, now we can do it in 10 uh, to 12 seconds exactly yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hey i mean it goes back to the prophecy of daniel they'll travel to and fro to increase information i mean the speed at which things are done because of satellites mm-hmm. is insane. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we think of it as normal. Here's the thing where we live in it. And so we've embraced it as normal. This is not normal. <laughs> this Amen. is not normal. Okay. The, the day and age we are living in is not normal. Here's what's happened. And, I, and this is what I want to equate this to. I want you to think about this. The real, to me, the real point of view of a Christian to to really, if you want to surmise your Christian faith, are you the type of Christian or the type of person when you look at your faith that you've made peace with your sin? Or are you the type of Christian that fights your sin? What has happened is is the shifting of our thinking has become to become at peace with it. We are not called to be at peace with our sin. Amen. We are called to fight. You know, these bodies under subjection. Exactly. We, we are at war in the spirit. Paul makes this very clear in Galatians. Mm -hmm. He speaks to this over and over the old Testament speaks to this over and over are we have a war being waged inside of our bodies yeah our flesh versus the spirit the whole flesh versus spirit argument that paul creates helps us to understand this and what's happened is you know the whole right will become wrong wrong will become right people have embraced okay getting going getting at peace with their sin They've literally embraced, embraced that. That that means what you're doing is you're putting your value in this life. We're to put our value in the next life. Amen. That's what that really signifies. Are you putting value in this life or, the, or in your human experience? Which goes back to the whole argument I give about culture. The Israel cult, the ancient Israel culture. I said ancient. The one that was established by God through Moses. And the idealisms of that which they never upheld very well themselves or the Greek culture that really magnifies the human experience here on earth. And so I think we have to, we have to think of it in those terms and speaking back to exactly what you were talking about is that we have accepted that what we're living in right now is normal. I want to say this, this is not normal. Amen. In the and this is why you need to study history. Yeah, amen. If you study history, you will realize how abnormal our thinking and our ways are. And what I've done, what I like to do is I like to dial back some of my I always do this. Some of my research always still dials back to the original founders of our faith, the apostles. I believe, and I believe every pastor, prophet, every Christian in the world. From time to time, you need to dial back to their faith yep. Amen. and not read the stuff of today. Read the stuff of then 
that will get your mind and your spirit back in the real faith and the yeah. ways of thinking that w- the way we are supposed to. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, because- I, I love doing that during sermon teachings and stuff, because <clears throat> you have to look at the context of the setting that the person's teaching in, like Jesus teaching about, you know, the sower souls the word. That was an agriculture society. They understood you got to plant a seed. If you want to get a crop, it's going to take time from the time you plant it till you, the crop comes in. Nowadays it's like, you know, microwave, you know, I mean, we're so, you know, remember the start, the original star Trek where they had the, you know, they'd walk up to the little box and tell it what to cook. And 30 seconds later, they pull out their tray and go sit down and eat. I mean, we're living in those days right now, basically, but that's science fiction. It's not real. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Amen. Exactly. So that's why I like, you know, studying the scriptures in light of the setting, the context that it's taken in. Then you can look at what's happening today and see the similarities. Yes. And apply the scripture to today instead of saying, you know, my God will take care of all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay. What does that mean? Exactly. It means God's going to take care of me. Okay. What does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> what is that supposed to look like? Yeah. No, yeah how does yeah. that play out in day-to-day living? Yeah. I mean, does that mean he's going to give you a bazillion dollars and you're going to live in a mansion and right, right. completely yeah. severed from the world? I don't think no. that's the correct term, the correct right. perspective of what the word is saying. Yeah. So that's and, and exactly to that point is that we still at times need to dial back to our ancient founding fathers of our faith, both in the old and the new Testament to really understand what, what is being said here and to really understand the power of God's word. And that be used in today's society. Absolutely. If we would get on our knees and repent the nation of the United, the United States, the United States, and the entire world would repent of their sin. God would turn His head away from our sin, forgive us, and He would restore order. Amen. Yeah, He would. He's right. He's been waiting. He's promised it. For, he's promised it, and He's been waiting for a long time. But what 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 end time prophecy really is? And I want you to think about this. It is the final culmination of God finally saying, you can't do it without me being in power. I've given you this chance to repent, to turn to me. Israel couldn't do it. And even then, during the church ages, you couldn't do it. Man had to get too involved in being the power, trying to be the power broker. There's only one power broker. His name is Jesus Christ. This morning I was reading John 5, and John 5 really speaks to this and is the authority of the Son of God. Jesus in John 5 claims his authority over the earth, total authority, and he is claiming it and talking about how God has given him the authority and that God has entrusted his own judgment through his son. And that means the son will be the one that judges all of this. And he judges it according to the will of the father and the way the father wants it done. 
Yeah. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's really in a nutshell, just kind of summarizing for, for people. That's what John five is saying. He said, I am, Jesus is saying, I am the final authority. Amen. I'm it. I'm your owner. I'm your King. Here we go. You know, there's been a lot of near death experiences is what they call them. The people who've actually spoken with Jesus, who have went through confrontations with God and through judgment and what that looks like. And there, you can read them, you can look them up. There's a lot of accounts of this. And in every circumstance, the final authority has nothing to do with yourself. You don't make the decision. God through Jesus Christ makes that decision. And so we need, you know, People need to understand that our founding fathers of our faith, not talking the founding fathers of the nation, I'm talking of the faith, the apostles who walked with Jesus are the ones that wrote these words, are the ones that would, those are the people you need to listen to because they experienced Jesus firsthand and then was given the power of the spirit to magnify everything that's, that's to be done. And the culmination of prophecy is again, it goes back to the fact that God's finally saying human beings cannot do it without me being in full power. Now, this has been so interesting. As we discuss the current situations over in Israel, if someone wants more information or would like to ask you a question, how, th- how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can they can just email me at gccgodcenteredconcept2038 at gmail.com. Hey Amen. I'll put links, as usual, down on the show notes. Drop down the show notes, folks, and, and reach out to Scott. I mean, get in touch with him. Subscribe to his podcast. We didn't get a chance to talk about your podcast today. And, and be sure to purchase his journal and start learning all about the God Center concepts because he specializes in that. Amen. Glory to God. Do it right now. Do it right now before you forget about it. Start your year off right. Amen. Scott, thanks again for co- taking time to come on the program, share all this information. I appreciate it. I look forward to our next conversation, buddy. Bob, thanks for letting me come on the show again and visit with you and always having a rich conversation of great information, and I look forward to it next time. Amen, amen. Folks, that's all the time we have for today. For Scott Wright and myself, Pastor Bob, reminding you to be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you.